Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. And a lot of people actually were mentioning that the feminist perspective doesn't work here. The feminist, this isn't even feminist because feminism is about equality. When we're talking about a flipped power dynamic, a matriarchal dynamic, in which the woman is the leader of the safety, the security, the legacy, the foundation of the family, because she out-earns and because she garners more respect, attention, and thus protection, this is not about feminism anymore. We're now in a whole separate conversation. And so when you try to apply patriarchal values to a matriarchal scenario, it doesn't work. Lovers and friends. I'm gonna take you on a trip, baby. I don't pretend. I say, lovers and friends. Uh, I'm gonna hold you down, down to the end. I say, I am terrified about doing this episode. <sighs> Why? Too many things out of my control. But let's do our best. Hi there, lovers and friends. My name is Shan Boudram. I'm a sex and relationship expert who usually is a production expert. We got it, the sound, the sights, the lights, but I'm currently in Toronto, Canada for the rest of July, a little tiny bit of August, and I had less. Now, I did pre-plan and I bulk did a number of episodes, so I'd be covered for the summer, but then the social media world, the entertainment world went ahead and exploded. See, I told you guys, it's gonna. this is what's gonna happen, okay? It's gonna be a crazy episode. The entertainment world exploded with topics relating to the intimacy space that I felt were great teachable and reflective moments. And all of them, I felt I had a strong opinion on and perspective. And that, again, is what I'm going to be sharing, a perspective that is limited to the information provided on the Internet. If it wasn't on Twitter, I don't know anymore. So I wanted to use these entertainment viral moments as a jump off point for us to have important discussions around expectation management, especially in the first year after having a baby. You might guess what entertainment stories link to that with boundaries. And then lastly, with shock value, intimate content that I think people should be aware of. So the three stories I want to cover off are the Kiki Palmer and Darius Jackson Twitter drama that I don't think anybody, including the person who made the tweet, Darius, would have anticipated how much impact this five letter or five word tweet would have. I saw it on every major news outlet. I also want to reflect on the Jonah Hill drama in which his partner, now ex-partner, shared a series of texts which he talked about boundaries. And I want to share some thoughts I've had about boundaries for a very long time. I think that this story is a perfect way to exemplify the key issues that our culture has with this term. And then lastly, I want to talk about the Adam 22 and Lena the plug porn thing that happened online in which Lena, who Lena has a daughter that is four days younger than Ryu. We were pregnant at the exact same time and I gave birth, I think on a Thursday and she gave birth on Saturday. Um, But she is a mom who is a porn star. And I think for the first time since her relationship with Adam, they're recently married now, she did a scene which she had sex, uh, a paid performance sex, with a man, specifically with a big black man. 
and uh, I want to talk about that. So let's start with the most current topic, which is the Kiki one. Now, for anybody who follows me on Twitter or TikTok, you probably already saw me talk about this here, so I don't really want to go over the same points that I made. To summarize, essentially to me, this was a drama that was fueled by expectation management. And a big part of that is because we expect that mothering means the death of othering. Other parts of yourself being amplified, other people desiring you, other things that you should prioritize getting placed on the back burner. So when we see someone like Kiki Palmer really seem to do it all, you know, to lean into mothering and to have amazing changes and reflections from that while also getting to not only maintain her separateness, but for her separateness to skyrocket. And yes, some people after having a baby um, do become more culturally relevant and it can be something that boosts your career again. But I ain't never seen nobody whose sex appeal was boosted and amplified the ways Kiki was. And in specificity, Kiki Palmer is somebody that we've always known and loved as an incredible personality. I jokingly put a comment that I still get likes on to this day on one of her posts that was like, where do we go? You know, do I bring videos of Kiki Palmer to a therapist and say, how do you make me like this? Like the same way that you would bring your favorite haircut of a celebrity to a hairstylist and be like, yo, give me this haircut. Her personality is so fire. I would go to a therapist and be like, how do I get like this? So funny, so insightful, so grounded. Um, from what she presents, she's just the internet sweetheart, which I think she had a cover recently that dubbed her as such. So we've always known and loved her for those reasons. Physically wise, uh, she grew up on TV or in movies. So she wasn't idolized sexually because we knew her from, I don't know, seven years old, eight years old. And since having a baby, specifically the Met Gala for me, I just saw the reaction to her and the glow off of her really shift from somebody who has a very desirable personality to somebody who is very sexually desirable. And I think that's been very liberating for many women. And that is why, to me, um, what she is doing by being ass out at an Usher concert or you know, being extra glam or putting herself in the limelight during a time where women are traditionally told to burrow down and dim down has been really inspiring. Now with this unexpected rise in an area that usually declines, for the person receiving the attention, it's probably very validating. For the partner of that person, it's probably very conflicting because again, this would go against what you thought was going to happen. And then I addressed in this video this too, that, and I can speak on this from experience, when the woman is the breadwinner of the family, it is incredibly difficult on the masculine. When the woman is the breadwinner of the family, it is incredibly difficult on the masculine. Um, one, from a socialization standpoint, from what they grew up thinking their role was supposed to be in a relationship, and two, how often people remind them of their role within the relationship or their lack of what the expected role is in the relationship. So I would assume that he already had a lot of internal work that he had to do in order to be with Kiki Palmer. Now, when you're with somebody who financially outperforms you or career outperforms you extensively, there's mass amounts of benefits that, of course, you have access to lifestyles, you have access to information, knowledge, peer groups that you just would never have on your own. But on the flip side, you are constantly reminded that you are less than. And in a relationship, you want equality, you want sameness, and in some ways, you want your strengths to be amplified, right? Like, through you, the best parts of me get heightened. And when you're with somebody where your insecurities or maybe your downsides, and down is not even a, a fair, accurate assumption, because in my romantic dynamic, for example, my partner is extremely successful, has very high skills, 
could work and could perform and could be a valuable team member no matter where they went. They choose to work and provide skills for me. And we choose to work on each other and push each other. But because they work within a dynamic with me, that automatically puts him on a perspective of less than other people. So that to be said, when you're viewed by the world as less, it's hard as fuck. Long story short. So I could imagine that your anticipation is, okay, this has been really challenging, but once we have this kid, we're gonna go into this burrow down effect that most families do, where we're gonna have a time of less. Maybe there'll be more time for me, definitely more time for the family and less confronting activities where I have to feel like this inadequacy is being judged and looked at by the world. And when the exact opposite happens, that can make you lash out. And I perceive a lot of people didn't that the tweet was a lash out. It didn't seem like the stimulus matched the reaction. Didn't seem like the outfit was that crazy. But again, I'm somebody who works in entertainment and I follow entertainers. So in the range of things that people wear to the Usher concert at bare minimum, I didn't think what Kiki wore was heavily inappropriate. I actually had a conversation with Jared about this and he had a different opinion. He was like, That's, that outfit was revealing. I did not feel that way, but I felt that it was stylish and I felt that it was accentuating and I thought it was sexy and hot as hell. And I think as her job as a performer, this is directly in line with the Kiki Palmer that we know and the one that we're coming to know, the desired sensual one. So I didn't think the outfit was the issue. I also didn't think that the Usher interaction would be the issue because again, this is a promotional opportunity. She probably went to this concert under the guise of that. If you haven't checked in, Kiki Palmer is promoting a wealth of things right now, I think including a movie. So whenever you are in entertainment, you have to strike when the iron is hot. Usually people only even hire PR people during times when they have something coming out. So they'll be at more events, they'll be at more red carpets, they'll be at more activities, they'll be posting more online. I think Lil Nas X did an incredible job of this where when his album came out, I saw this guy everywhere. And then that will die down once he, you know, no longer has something to promote. So striking when the iron is hot is probably a part of the culture she's used to. So the iron is hot for her right now. One and two, she got shit cooking. So you should expect to see her out. So I did not think that anything that happened was out of line or out of character, or to me, probably out of the bounds of which their dynamic should operate successfully. But instead, I think that there's a lot of other conflicting emotions that happen with the expectation of what happens after you truly have a kid. And I shared this with somebody in need recently because it was shared with me at a time when I desperately needed it. Zero to one is the hardest year on an individual and on a dynamic. So once you have zero to one kid and zero to one year, you can overcome a lot. But that first year of that first kid is insane. It is insane how many feelings and insecurities you are confronted with. And when you are doing something that you are so deeply unsure of alongside somebody else, it is so much easier to pin and project those negative feelings onto the nearest person can't be the baby so it's going to be your partner and so the conflicts that I had within the first year of us having Ryu our firstborn was the worst that Jared and I had in our relationship um, and 10 months in we had a really bad conflict and my sister said to me this is really normal everybody goes through this not everybody but many people from the first year of the first baby go through this. It's so much adjustments, it's a short amount of time, and no matter how many kids you've watched, no matter how many daycares you've run, no matter how many people you're an auntie to, you cannot anticipate how 
challenging it is to child rear somebody who is fully underneath your care and your responsibility, especially an infant who has no capabilities to do anything for themselves. It's immense. So anyhow, long story short, <laughs> that post, which I've now rambled on for how long? I rambled on for 11 minutes. That was an eight minute post. There was a couple of other details that I talked about in there in terms of that expectation thing that I think would have fueled a comment like that and would have fueled the reaction it did from the internet. Now, some of the responses I got back after making that post were people just discussing really the red pill perspective on a woman's role and on a man's respect. There's a sun right above me. I'm trying to fucking avoid it at all costs, but it keeps finding me. So if you're watching this video and it's hella blown out at some places hopefully this bad boy moves on soon and it's making me sweat um anyways a lot of people were just saying you know as a man you that was disrespectful and when that's your partner you're disrespecting your partner and a man wants to be validated in certain ways and a man wants to feel like certain outfits or behaviors or expressions are only for him and y'all look this is going to move on soon because it's right in my face right now you cannot apply traditional values to non-traditional relationships. They don't have the answers. And a lot of people actually were mentioning that the feminist perspective doesn't work here. The feminist, this isn't even feminist because feminism is about equality. When we're talking about a flipped power dynamic, a matriarchal dynamic in which the woman is the leader of the safety, the security, the legacy, the foundation of the family, because she out-earns and because she garners more respect, attention, and thus protection. This is not about feminism anymore. We're now in a whole separate conversation. And so when you try to apply patriarchal values to a matriarchal scenario, it doesn't work. You need to derive a new way of respect, of feeling respected. You need to derive new methods of feeling like an equal, new ways of contributing to the partnership. You cannot look to the old way. Because guess what? If we did, baby, we'd probably have to sell the house. How you get to union and communion within a relationship is going to be different based on the priorities and the dynamics. And when the priorities and dynamics are completely different from that of your grandparents or from your individual perspective, you cannot apply your value system to that. So that is where I think that the red pill community who is putting a battery in the back of Darius, which somebody um, mentioned that to me, that he's getting the wrong battery in his back, or it's not, it's not, it doesn't, doesn't work. So if you find yourself in a similar dynamic when you are in the first year of your relationship and there's so many things that are changing, so many things that are conflicting and so much is happening over communication and exposure. What the good thing, <laughs> what the good thing that came out of this scenario to me between Kiki and Darius is that this provided so much language for them to have meaningful conversations that they may not have even known they had to have had before. So one of my favorite lessons I got from psychology, I think the course was human learning. We talked about the difference between tacit knowledge and structured knowledge or functional knowledge, right? So tacit knowledge is something that you know, but you don't really have words for it, right? Like you probably, if I asked you how the internet works, you're like, oh, I, like tacitly, I kind of understand it, but I don't have the language. I don't know what the hardware or the software or the 
satellite shit is. I don't really know, but I kind of loosely understand it. So similarly, a lot of us have tacit knowledge when it comes to our intimate selves. We know what works and what doesn't, but we actually, and we know when something doesn't feel good. But because we don't have conversation starters or frameworks or language or jump off points, we're like, okay, I feel bad, but I don't know how to pin it to something. So what language is accessible to me? And for Darius, I think in this particular case is that maybe he felt a way and he felt something, right? And what also ends up happening on social media is something called negativity bias, wherein the negative comments stand out to you more. So while majority of us have been seeing, loving and living for Kiki Palmer's glow up postpartum, there probably have been people in his comments that he have seen who has shamed him or made him feel bad or less than for his partner being sexy during a time where she should be matronly. So for him, he was like, I feel bad. I don't know why. Okay, what was that tweet that said that I'm less of a man because my partner needs validation from others because they're dressing sexy? Yeah, that's probably what it is. And then you utilize and you lean into that. And then you say it out loud and maybe you realize you didn't even really mean that. But what has happened is because so many people have weighed in and provided so many different perspectives, you can now look at all of them and say, oh yeah, that's the one, right? So when you first, what was my major issue the first year? My major issue was definitely feelings of inequality, like I am doing more, more parenting. And I think that I was qualifying what parenting was in a very different way than my partner was. And so that was a good conversation for us to have. I also felt like my desirability had hit a wall during pregnancy and afterwards I wanted to fucking fly over that wall and I wanted my partner to be the one to shoot me up in the air. So I required a lot more verbal affirmation postpartum than I did ever before in our relationship. And I used to make jokes a lot about it and used to make jokes about, you know, um, my partner's lack of ability to make compliments, but it really started to affect me postpartum when I needed it more than ever and he just didn't have the muscle to provide it and i didn't want to have to teach someone how to be kind to me verbally but guess what i had to so those were some of my pain points my partner's pain points were that they felt like they were not getting any time for themselves to work on their own dreams and aspirations because nine to five we work underneath the shared entertainment which usually tends to be my projects or things associated with my likeness or, or with associated with sex and relationship period and that's not his passion area. So nine to five, all of his time was dedicated towards that vision. And then afterwards it was all family time. And even if we had intimate time for us, it still left nothing really for him. So he found himself just trying to steal any moments for himself. And that's where I felt the inequality was coming from, where I was just like, well, hang on a second. Where are you, why are you missing during these moments? But I realized I was being fulfilled all day long doing what I love to do. Um, Because the kid went to daycare, we had a a childcare, we had a nanny, which is Jared's brother. I was being personally fulfilled all day long at work. And then I would come home and have the energy for my kids and to fully be with them. Whereas for him, he was not being personally fulfilled in terms of his own desires and vocation all day long. And then he'd have to devote the time to the kid and to the family. And then at the end of the day, he felt there was nothing left for himself. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? We had time away from the kids, but he didn't have time away from shit that didn't have anything to do with him. So anyhow, that was a conversation we didn't really have until like 10 months in. And that specific problem caused a whole other ripple effect between us. But getting the language down to really communicate what was the disparity and what was the major change that had shifted, um, not just our dynamic, but our relationship with ourself 
and our feelings about our ability to be a good parent, that took some time to get the language down. So it's kind of a blessing that they had this moment, then they had this wealth of opinions, which I hope that they took in sparingly because that would be overwhelming. But I think some of them probably gave Darius that like, ooh, that shudder feeling when you're like, what is that? And I hope he looked into them. And I, I'm rooting for this team. I know we're not supposed to because we don't have all the information. There could be way worse things and nobody wants to be on record encouraging or condoning a relationship when something else worse comes out about it. But I think that there's so hard this time and there's so much, there's so little guidance that we get. And even if we do get all the guidance, there's unexpected things that come up. Like again, Kiki Palmer's rise in sensuality is an unprecedented, unexpected boom so she couldn't have even planned for that and many people have never been through that so they can't relate to it so how can they guide you through it so i just think give grace and space um yeah and i hope that they're having i hope they're talking bare minimum hope the egos yeah anyways i'm not going to spend too much time talking about people who aren't here let's talk about this boundary situation am i still recording our survey says yes all right, so Jonah Hill, private texts with his girlfriend were posted. She posted them. I feel a way about that. I do. I get, I get it. It doesn't matter how I feel. It is what it is. I feel the same way about her doing that as I feel about Darius posting that tweet. Just unnecessary. Just why? Just the wrong kind of attention puts a stain on somebody's career and even for Kiki who would appear to be on the upside of this just the headache the nightmare the opinions and then again due to negativity bias even if many people are supporting her those that aren't are probably really loud and trying very hard to get her attention and it's probably seeped through it's fucking exhausting even actually I talked about this my biggest moment as an intimacy educator was that episode about uh, with what's her name watch Jazzy the submissive episode and while Cardi B and news outlets and billions of people consume that bit of content in various different ways and that should have been very gratifying because it was under a negative pretense of people just judging even if it wasn't me being judged it was just that I was a part of something like that it just like it honestly did not feel good I genuinely hope that another great moment comes for me and it's not at the expense of somebody else's esteem and respect from the world because i still see people bring that up on that person's page i actually saw it in the news recently again um yeah it doesn't feel good for really anybody so yeah when you do things like that and you bring these private issues very public and people like me benefit because we talk about it and people enjoy talking about it i don't know i don't like it so i feel the same way about his partner tweeting these or sharing their text messages nonetheless she shared these text messages that talked about Basically, he was saying to her, you're crossing my boundaries. And his boundaries are, I'm paraphrasing because I don't memorize. Don't post yourself in bikinis on social media. Don't teach men because she was a surf instructor. Um, don't hang out with surfer dudes that you used to. Um, and limit your interactions with like surfer type dudes and do a better job of including me in your surfer community. So she's a 25-year-old swim surfer instructor. He's a 39-year-old famous actor. And so he was just saying, this is my boundary. If you want to be with me, this is what you have to do. And some people were like, this is great. He's clearly outlining what it is that he wants. And I think a lot of y'all, 
a lot of men were condoning him. I mean, this is what tends to happen on gender conversations anyways. Men try to advocate for the dudes and women try to advocate for the women for the most part. So I think a lot of the conversations from men were around like, well, he's clearly stating what his issues are and where his no-goes are. And then on the flip side, women were like, that's not how boundaries work. But I do think that a lot of people in general do think that's how they work. So I want to talk about it. Excuse me, bug. Excuse me. It's going to flick you. I'm not going to try to kill you. Thank you. So I drew a little chart here. If you can't see it on camera, I'll try to explain it. But this is how I think the basic framework of creating boundaries should go down. So if you go with me on this chart. So RYW stands for the relationship you want. So this is for every individual in your life, you create one of these. What is the relationship that I want with this person? RTW, what is the relationship that they want from me? Then there is YS, what are your sacrifices? What are you giving up to be in the kind of relationship that you want with this person or to be in a relationship period? Then there's TS, which is their sacrifices. What are they giving up? So of course, in healthy dynamics, let's go baby, I think, for the most part, your bubble looks a little bit like this. There's some stuff you're giving up. There's some stuff they're giving up. You're getting a lot of relationship that you want, not all of it. And they're getting a lot, but not all of it. This bubble also is fluid. It's not fixed. It roams around. And so sometimes, especially in long-term partnerships, it looks very different. Sometimes it's a relationship that they want, oh, that didn't go right. That's why I drew a few of these. <laughs> Sometimes it's the relationship that they want mostly, kind of the relationship that you want and mostly your sacrifices. This is how the relationships can look a lot of the times for short periods of time, specifically when somebody's going through mental health needs or they're going through grief, they lost a job. There's some kind of event that occurs in which things have to be weighted very differently. I would say I'm not in this particular place right now, but I'm closer to this right now where the relationship that I have with my partner, you know, I'm here in Canada. And while for the, a good percentage of that, it's for me, I would never choose to be anywhere for as long as I'm here. I'm here for like six weeks. Um, and if I chose to be anywhere for six weeks by choice, I'd probably move there. Um, so the main reason that I am here is to give my husband the support and time that he needs to focus and work on himself and is to give my kids an opportunity to really get the focus from me and the focus that they require. So one of my daughters, Zaya, is staying up the road with my parents and I visit her every day, drop off milk every day, hang out with her, but she's around people who can provide her unlimited support. She's 10 months old too. And the challenge with the 10 month old is that she naps two times a day, which really makes it difficult to interact with the toddler because you have to revolve around the baby's nap time. Um, and of course, if you're in a home with her, she has to be quiet around those times. So what's nice about us having a separate space is that we can really give Ryu the time that she needs to be as loud and as vocal and as adventurous as possible for as long as she wants. We can go to the park sometimes for like nine hours um, if that's what she desires without having to come back for someone's nap. So this actually has been an incredible opportunity for me to focus on the collective needs and desires of my family. Whereas in, for me, I have a lot less time to work. I have a lot less time for, that's not actually true. I couldn't say I have less time for self-care. I actually have more time for self-care. But I am making individual sacrifices with my family dynamic right now to give them more of what they want and what they need, and I'm giving up more in return. This bubble, though, 
often looks like this. And sometimes, as I mentioned, it looks like this, right? I'm getting exactly what I need from my partner and they're sacrificing everything. And sometimes this is one we have to really be mindful of because we're like, what are you talking about? Everything is great and perfect. And then we check in and look at that person's priorities and realize like, well, of course it's been great for me because they're bending over backwards to my will and I'm not giving up things in return so that their needs are being met. So what happens is you have two different types of boundaries, okay? Going back to our original one. I think that there are boundaries that are external and internal. We also call this individual and collectivist. So I think within the circle is unity and peace and harmony within the partnership. So when everything within this boundary, within the circle, all my priorities are in consideration of how do we have the best dynamic with each other. Everything outside is how do I make sure that you don't get inside my circle of peace? So a lot of times when people talk about boundaries, they're talking about making sure people stay outside of their own bubble of peace and unity and respect. And that is usually because they were with somebody who created a relationship dynamic that was all about your sacrifices and their wins. And so we actually had to ban people from suggesting boundaries as a topic on lovers and friends because almost as you know, when we have guests, they choose the topic. Almost everybody's like, I want to talk about boundaries. And what they wanted to talk about is being in dynamics of people where it was all about what that person wanted from them and what they had to give up. And then them deciding to put in hard rules to stop that person from infiltrating their peace and their happiness. And these aggressive boundaries are necessary, usually with legacy relationships, parents, grandparents, bosses, people that you can't really get rid of, um, you have to keep around, but you have to also do things to keep your sanity around those people. Because I would say for the most part, if you have to put hard, aggressive boundaries, these like keep out of my joy and my safe space boundaries, and that's the priority. The priority isn't keep you in and keep us in and keep us both happy. The priority is keep you out so I can stay sane. If those relationships should be few and far between, right? Like, I don't keep a lot of people around me where I have to make rules on what we can and can't talk about. I have to make rules on when they can call me and when they can't. Um, for the most part, if you are somebody you have to put those hard rules in place with, you're probably not my people. And I have to do this with a few choice people, a few legacy relationships already. So I just don't have the energy to do this with optional relationships. For the other part of most people, I'm more concerned on boundaried relationships that look a little bit like this, where every decision that I make is in consideration with what their needs are, what they want from me, um, and how we can best work together, and acknowledging that I'm going to have to give some things up in the process. So there was actually this clip. Let's see if I can find it fast. Should I have pulled it up before? Absolutely. Will I try to talk my way through it so I can get it done? All right, saved. Boom, boom, boom. Oh, right. Not that bad, we're almost there. Internet's slow, okay, here we go. Benefits from you not having boundaries. Anybody who benefits from you not having boundaries is not your friend. So Boom. if I set my boundaries and I tell you like, honestly, this is, this is just what it is, and you react negatively to that, you don't actually love me because you're, you, you're not hearing me just be honest about something that really isn't even a problem. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm not being mean. I'm literally telling you where my life is at and, and what I can do and what I can't do. And if you take that offensively, you don't love me. There's no way. I don't agree with that. Because I think that when you're in healthy reciprocal love, loving somebody else makes you love 
yourself and your life more. There is like a, it's just a holistic benefit that happens, right? So some of the things that I might need in order to get the relationship that I want might be in direct conflict with the relationship that the other person wants. And if this is not something that I can sacrifice or that they can sacrifice, why does anybody have to be wrong or not loving in this scenario? This can be one and an opportunity to see a fundamental incompatibility where you want to love the person, but the rules in which that love needs to exist or for you to feel that love, because also it's a great thing with love languages, right? That isn't to say that not everybody, that people don't love you. That just means they have to learn to prioritize the love you in the ways that you need. And some people aren't capable of those ways. And that's very different from not even loving you at all. So I think that what we can say instead is that sometimes what we need to have the relationship that we want at a cost that we're comfortable with doesn't work with the other person. And man, is that not a shame because love isn't all that needs to exist in order for our dynamic to thrive and to survive. And so neither person is wrong. We're just not right for each other. On the flip side, sometimes that means your boundary is not a boundary. It's a divide. And that's where I was going with this Jonah Hill thing. That's not a boundary, baby. That's a divide. You're infiltrating on somebody's way of life that their lifestyle. This is who this person intrinsically is. They're in surface drunk instructor. They're going to be in bathing suits on the internet. They're going to interact majority of surfing community. I would assume, because guess what? I don't fucking surf, is a man. Most people that I know who surf are dudes. I know one, Maya Washington. She don't do that regularly. I would assume as a surf instructor, a big part of your business has to do with the fact that dudes like learning from a hot woman. That's it. Sure, it's how you met her in the first place. So your boundary, you cannot interact with men. You cannot post in bathing suits. Directly crosses what that person wants and what they are willing to sacrifice. And now we don't have a harmony circle. We have a half moon, which if you like processed foods, that might be delicious for you. But for most people, it feels like an incomplete relationship. It feels like an incompatible relationship. So I think that's what I wanted to stress. You know the difference between internal boundaries and collective boundaries. I mean, independent boundary, boundaries and collective boundaries or interdependent and independent independent boundaries are regardless of what you want regardless of what you want to give up this is what i need from you and this is where i'm telling you you can exist so that you don't piss me off so much because you've been pissing me off a lot um or and if i'm in a situation with somebody where i want a collective relationship where i want both people to feel just as heard just as loved just as understood just as validated just as valid in the relationship there's going to be sacrifices that I'm going to have to make and considerations that I have to make on your needs. And my needs do not have a, I was hoping the word would come to me before I finished the sentence, but it didn't. What's the thing that Donald Trump is? Dictatorship. <laughs> it's not a dictatorship, right? Um, it's a democracy. So I would consider those boundaries to be divides because they directly conflict with what that person clearly wanted from a relationship when they envisioned it and what they were willing to give up to be in that kind of relationship. And you at that point can decide if you can make this line a little bit more curvy, a little bit more flexible 
and things can take some time you know what i mean like not everything has to be this quick that's the thing with boundaries too is that the expectation that someone's supposed to jump just because you said this is where the bar is is a little nutty it takes a long time to change habits long time to change opinions and change minds now it is the willingness to do so and then the request for accountability to be guided on that journey that keeps us in the circle together and that keeps me wanting you in this circle with me but if you don't want to be in the circle sometimes that's not even a bad thing like it's not a reflection on you as a negative person it just means that we just really want fundamentally different things and based on what you're asking me to give up i'd actually rather be on the outside one of my favorite quotes about boundaries which i talked about before is that you know healthy boundaries are not about keeping people out it's about keeping people in i think that's what we're discussing too the difference between the two kinds of boundaries and people i think should be clear about that so whether you have this pie chart you know you draw it somewhere maybe this can be helpful for you maybe i just talked for 20 minutes because it felt good all right last topic i wanted to talk about adam 22 and lena the plug whom i have nothing against i don't know them i know lena a little bit actually because of our i think our shared baby time i think we were aware of each other during pregnancy i don't think i've ever met her in real life before um, nonetheless i think what they're doing is obviously marketable and it obviously works but triggering content i think as a consumer you owe it to yourself to see and to stay clear of and that is content that is specifically designed to elicit a big emotional reaction from you and the jesse smollett gate <laughs> that unfolded a few years ago was a prime example of this where somebody created and orchestrated a scene that based on the times they knew would elicit a strong emotional response for now he was wise in orchestrating something that elicited a positive emotional response that he could capitalize off of now the danger with trying to do something positive though is if people find out that this is orchestrated the outrage is so much greater now i believe in adam and lena's situation they have done something similar to jesse but they did it for negative so if we found out, which of course it is orchestrated because it's a performance, that's what porn is. But if we found out that they knew all along that this would get this kind of reaction, because based on the time that we're in right now, where there's so much dialogue and conflict, and somebody wrote this beautiful comment, which I think I'm going to try to read right now on my Instagram, just talking about the shift that we are in in many facets of life, where it's not even about feminism and equality. It's about the switch from patriarchal to matriarchal. And because that's happening, you have this resistance that's happening from men who are really confronted by this new reality and unsure of how they're going to exist and garner the things that ultimately we all want. Love, respect, relationships, safety within this new world. And because they're being confronted, they're really activated right now. And they may not have the language to say that. Um, so you have this uprising of this, these feelings happening. And so them, him talking about his wife having sex with another man, albeit a black man with a huge penis, he knows it is going to elicit a strong emotional reaction. And that is going to bring the attention and the fame and the notoriety that they ultimately wanted all along. I just think when I see these things happen, and even when I saw the Jesse Smollett thing, I was like, ooh, like, it just felt kind of, it feels weird when something hits a little bit too perfectly to the times, right? Like, 
These are all the perfect buttons that you're pressing in me right now. And everybody is so emotionally triggered by this. To be puppeted in that way doesn't really feel good. And I don't know if there's, there's so many think pieces online about this. And I don't think that there's, I don't think we should bother thinking about it. And here I am doing what? Thinking about it. Doing what? Talking about it. Being a what? Hypocrite. (laughs) In real time. (laughs) Because does it start conversations around polyamory? Does it start conversations around inequality in the way that we view non-monogamy? Is it, you know, conflicting and confronting for many different reasons? And is there think pieces we could do to analyze the fact that Adam 22, and as mentioned this, has slept with hundreds of women since he has been, you know, committed to Lena. But the fact that she has been with one has just driven so much revenue and attention and controversy, you know, really does say something. There is something that is culturally commentary worthy about that. But the fact that they knew and that they're leaning into it so much just makes me as a a consumer want to just be more precious with my time. I don't want to be played with like that. Was there any point to this rant at all now that we've gotten here? I'm not sure, but guess what? That isn't too bad because if you stop listening, that's all right. I think the most important things were said at the top of the podcast and moreover, just had a lovely time chatting with all of you. Thank you so much for listening to this informal episode of Lovers and Friends. We'll be back next week with something more formal, but I truly felt that this pop culture moment that we're having that is really on the intimate space um, deserved its due attention. And so I wanted to give it that. And I also want to give you a shout out if you have gone and rated and reviewed the podcast. Those moments mean the world. Those five minutes or five seconds you take to press a button, I don't care which one, and then to tell people why this podcast is awful or amazing, but just to share a perspective, to say a community is invested and involved in this work makes a huge difference on my day and on the ability and reach of the show. So please go and do that if you haven't already. And I will talk to you next week. Bye. Lovers and friends. Lovers and friends. I'm going to take you on a trip, baby. I don't pretend. I said, lovers and friends. I'm going to hold you down, down to the end. I said, lovers and friends is executive produced by Shared Entertainment's Shan Boudram. It is produced by Boudram and Crizia Cruz with production support from 2S Entertainment's Adam Krasner and Brianna Barone. The Lovers and Friends theme song is produced by Sean Ross and performed by Jared Brady, who also does the scoring and engineering on our episodes. Lovers and Friends is powered by Audioboom and made possible by our incredible sponsors who you can show love to by reading our show notes.